Welcome to the Living Stones podcast. These are the recordings of our Sunday morning talks. We pray that these are helpful to you, so please enjoy. I'm just going to pray for you. Um... Thanks, brother. Brother, I yeah. Father, I really want to thank you for Matt. Um, every time I see him, Lord, um, I just feel good seeing him. He's one of those guys that you enjoy having around, Lord. And Father, I know that he has walked with you a long time, Lord. I know he's walked through some dark places, Lord. But Father, you have always been there for him, Lord, and his hope is surely in you, and we know that. So Father, as he speaks to us, may he know your good pleasure. May he sense what your Holy Spirit is doing in him. And Father, may he relax in our presence and yours, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you, mate. Amen. Well, good morning. I was very careful coming up. These tables are a death trap. I don't know if, if anyone noticed. I know. So I reckon it's 25 years, actually, since I was a part of this congregation here at Livingstone. So um, it's actually a massive privilege to be back. Um, I actually think it's quite amazing that I have been invited back. I think I was probably one of the naughtiest scallywags to have ever come through Living Stones, if you don't believe me, just ask Andy and Vanessa. Sorry, guys. The stories I could tell, literally. Um, also, just, be- just before I start, I'm a rugby boy. I'm still playing now. I'm far too old, I know, but I can't give it up. And uh, my-, my dad, um, every week he comes and supports me. And at rain or shine, like all over the county, there- there's my dad there. So imagine my joy this morning when my mum and dad have come um, to watch me and support me preach this morning. How, how good is that? And actually, what, what two better things could there be to support your son in than Jesus and rugby? You know? <laughs> how good. In, absolutely, yeah, just about, yeah. Actually, Jesus loves rugby. Um, it says in the Bible, he is the centre. So... Um, <laughs> A couple of years ago, Martin asked if I would um, come and speak to some of your men. I recognise some of you. Um, at a little uh, weekend away, um, that was a, a little Christian retreat called Westwatch um, on the Ashdown Forest near where I live. Um, Martin asked if I would uh, talk a little bit about my story um, and tell the guys where I was at. And I don't actually like giving my story very much. I actually find it quite hard. And normally when I get invited to do so, I would turn that down. Um, but on this occasion, I just felt God's nudge. And so I went, and I was, I was so pleased that I did. It was great for me. Um, the guys were absolutely lovely. And we had a, we had a fantastic time, actually. Uh, but when Martin contacted me to come and speak to you guys um, on similar sort of subjects, I must say the, the familiar fears sort of s- surfaced a little. Um, until I saw your season's topic, which was uh, feed my sheep. Um, I once again felt that little nudge from the Lord. So annoying. Um, So here I am. Uh, Before I get to the sheep bit that's on my heart for you guys this morning, I just felt that I I needed to give you a little bit of my story, um, uh, give you a little bit of an update of where I'm at at the moment. I do find this really hard, so uh, please bear with me. Um, in fact, do you mind if I just pray again? Yeah, Lord Jesus, thank you for the privilege that it is to stand here with these guys, see some, some familiar faces. 
Lord, I just pray you'll stand with me, Lord. Prop me up, Lord, and I just pray these guys will hear the things you want them to hear, Lord, and not hear the things you don't, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I think I was 16, actually, when the Marriott uh, family came here um, to be part of this congregation at Living Stones. Uh, we'd spent the previous 10 years uh, living at Ashburnham Place. Do you guys know Ashburnham Place? Um, one of my Ash ambitions at Ashburnham was to uh, make a go-kart that could successfully travel from the top of the drive to the bottom with no brakes. Um, this was quite a painful ambition, um, and there were many heroic failures along the way. Um, one thing I discovered, actually, is that when you're travelling at real speed um, on a go-kart, trying to steer it with a, with a string or, 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 or with your feet on, on the front axle was completely hopeless. You, you get a speed wobble and, and bushes, yeah. Gravel rash, you, yeah, it's all, all, it goes wrong. So and on this occasion, I, I had built this absolute beast, and she was a honey, I have to say. Um, <clears throat> and I designed it so the driver would lie horizontally um, down and steer directly with his hands onto the front axle. You, you had feel, um, it, it, it was just perfect. And, and over, over, over the back legs, um, I'd made a little seat for, for the co-driver, and, and he had independent brakes, of course, not to be used on the run, because that would be cheating, but to bring us to a safe and controlled stop at the bottom of the drive. She, honestly, just thinking about it now makes me excited. And <laughs> it just so happened that this day, a um, brilliant friend of mine and Martin and Sue's son, Simon, was coming to stay. And I, I, I knew he would love the Marriott chariot as much as I did. And so... Uh, <clears throat> So we towed uh, the go-kart actually halfway up. We thought we'd give it a little test run. Um, <clears throat> we jumped on. Oh, she was wonderful. So the control. It, they've actually put speed bumps in now, so it's completely impossible. But, but back in the day, if you got it right, when you came over the bridge at the bottom, you could just get a little bit of air. It was marvellous. <laughs> and then the brakes could go on. It, you know, it, it, honestly, she was a machine. So success, success, success. So we took it right to the top. Now, you guys who know Ashburnham, know that A, the drive is really steep, and B, halfway down, there is a corner of severe radius. <coughs> so we, we, hit this we hit this corner, and we were creaming down the hill, honestly. And who, was, who, was, who was lying? I'm not letting Simon steer, let's be honest. <laughs> there are limits to friendship. So, uh, yeah, so we came, into, we came into the corner, and I remember just how hard it was. We were going so fast just to, just to bring, bring it round. But, but round she came, and then disaster. The, the wheel of the go-kart actually burned my, my arm, in my arm, and calamity. I, I jerked the steering wheel, and, yeah, yeah every, everything went off. Um, I, we were, I remember just rolling down, because I was trapped in it, because I was sort of like under the seat. Uh, like Everything came apart, I had bits digging in me. Poor Simon was flung like 20 like, yards down the road. Um, I, remember, I, I pulled myself out of the wreckage, and there was a whole chunk of it stuck in my side. I remember pulling out all the nails out. In fact, some of my friends saw the scar on my side just the other weekend and asked me what it was. So I still bear the scars to this day. And I struggled down the road to where Simon was sitting with his arm at this rather alarming <laughs> angle. Oh, my goodness. He took one look at me and all the blood, and he just fainted. <laughs> I, I had, I had, he doesn't like blood, does he? I, I, had, I had Simon under one arm and the, and the wreckage of this go-kart like, strewn across. And I thought, Lord, what on earth am I going to do here? And, you know, just like 
miracle. At that moment, a car came down the drive. I thought, hallelujah, thank you, Lord. I was waving frantically, help! And this lovely old lady, she just drove past and waved <laughs> to us. Actually, Simon is a, he's a massive hero. He used to do diving at the time, um, and uh, he persuaded A and E to cast his arm in a diving position. Um, and he actually did a diving competition the next weekend with his arm in plus. I think he even won it or something. Oh, my goodness, how good is that? Anyway, that's got nothing to do with anything. Um, oh, my goodness. Cool, that's so good having your dad in, isn't it? Just to contribute for that. <laughs> Growing up in Ashburnham, though, was, was a massive privilege. Um, you know, we saw some things, and, and God was so powerful there. And I grew up in this cocoon of God just providing whatever we needed, whatever I asked for. I was so confident. My friends from, from school, non-Christian friends, would come and they would feel the power of God just walking into the stable yard where I lived. You know, I, I just got used to it, and it was a wonderful, wonderful place to grow up. But when, when we moved out, um, yeah, yeah, I... It was quite a culture shock, to be honest. I discovered everything I shouldn't discover. Um, and as I said, I turned into quite a naughty scally, really. And I'm quite ashamed of that part of my life. Um, yeah. <laughs> I had uh, my A-levels. And the winter before I took them, my best friend's dad committed suicide at Christmas. Um, I think any interest I had remaining in college at that point went out of the window. He, he left college, and, and pretty much so did I. So, yeah, I took my A-levels, sort of. Um, and I remember the day I went to, to get my results. Um, I don't know really what I was expecting, to be honest. Um, and I saw the extent of my failure. In fact, in fact, the first person that I told about this was Nigel Collier. I'm so gutted they're not here this morning. Anyway, that's by the way. I remember, I remember sitting at home with my head in my hands, um, like knowing that I had nobody else to blame but myself, knowing that I had studiously ignored God uh, for these two years of my life, and that I deserved nothing more than what I was getting. And, you know, at that moment, the phone rang. I mean, it was an old family friend, and he he had no idea of of my situation or my circumstances, and he offered me a job in his design studio. And that, that was the first, but by no means the last, experience of the awesome grace of God. And we'll come back to that later. So I was baptised just down the road. Uh, is it still there, the swimming pool? Yeah. How good. My dad did it. So, so awesome. Um, Living Stones planted a church in Old Town, Old Town Community Church. So my dad went and ran that, and I helped with the youth work. I worked with Val Fairhead. She taught me so much. Wonderful, wonderful time of learning there for me. I met a beautiful girl called Emily. I got married. I um, had two wonderful boys. Joey's just back from uni and he's followed his old dad out on Father's Day. Isn't he handsome? Um, and I've got another lovely boy called Theo. Work was going brilliantly. I worked my way up to partner in the business church. It was absolutely amazing. We finally settled in what was then New Life Church. We met in a, a theatre in East Grinstead. Uh, it was really exciting times. We got, we got too big for the theatre. And so with God's help, amazing prophetic words and help with finance, we, we bought this big warehouse, um, which is, in turn, into a community centre, very much like you guys here. 
Um, and uh, it's just, it's just, it's just been. If ever you're up in East Grinstead and you want to come and worship, we're called um, Jubilee Community Church. Come and find us. We'd love to see you up there. Um, I've, I've worked uh, in youth work and led youth teams uh, f- for a long time there. Uh, love leading house groups. One of my favourite things: marriage prep. Particularly my youth who have come through the, the you know, my youth structure and now are looking to step into the next exciting stage of their life with marriage. I, I really thought I had the best in the world, to be honest. I didn't know how it could be any better. And we had a farm, lots of horses. Um, and the farm was often used for church and rugby activities. Um, so on my 40th birthday, we had a rugby party there. I found my flattest field. I mowed it into a rugby and we had a wonderful match and a, a, a lovely evening of fun and dancing. In the morning, however, Em told me she was leaving. Ah, she, she just packed a bag and she left. Bought my tissues. Vanessa set me off earlier for praying for me. It was all her fault. <clears throat> my whole world just crumbled, really. Um, God had always just jumped in and solved my problems before. You know? And I w- was wondering what he was doing here. I'd always felt like a really strong and confident man. I actually had no idea that I could get knocked down like this. I'm sure some of you would have gone through similar seasons. I'd spend days just locked away in my bed, too scared to leave the house. I, I actually took years to be able to go shopping without fear. Isn't that extraordinary? I used to think that people were judging me because of what was in my trolley. Isn't it? It's bizarre. But you know, even from that first terrible week, God was saying so clearly and firmly for me to wait. I have to write a book one day on all the ways that he has miraculously gotten my attention and spoken to me. I didn't know about any of this at the time, but there are five reasons you can give to get a divorce. I hadn't actually done any of those things. So after two years, you can get divorced on separation grounds. But it means signing the papers to say that you believe that the relationship is irrevocably broken. God made it really clear that I wasn't to sign that. After five years, the divorce can happen with only one signature. And my five years is actually up on July the 6th. You know, these have been the worst years that I could imagine, really. I didn't know how bad I could feel month after month, and yet there have been such precious things to come of it. I fell in love with the Word of God, which He uses to speak so regularly and powerfully to me. I discovered friends who have supported and loved me unconditionally, and my family. Sorry on the recording, I'm sobbing and you can't hear me. (laughs) This book is amazing, and I know this is a difficult and emotive subject. I really don't want to tread on anybody's toes or hurt anybody here, but this is chock-a-block full of a God who makes covenants with us and is faithful when we are totally unfaithful. So much of this is about having hope in restoration. so often uses marriage, doesn't he, as a picture to illustrate how he feels about us. And Paul is quite clear that our marriages should be a reflection of how Christ loves the church. 
Every time I try and wriggle off this hook, he quite remarkably brings me back to waiting for someone who doesn't want me to wait. It's crazy. When I felt that I should come and talk to you guys this morning, Martin gave me two dates, one in July and today. I thought if I did the July date, there was a good chance that M would have gotten things underway with the divorce, and I'd find it impossible to come and speak to you about hope and restoration. So I chose today. And Martin doesn't know this, but an hour and a half after I accepted, she came and knocked on the door and told me she had started proceedings. So here I stand, really, still struggling to understand what God thinks he's doing. Struggling to pray and hope for my marriage. Worried I'm going to lose my home, my future, and yet convinced that God has asked me to do this. Ah, oh, man, I'm really hoping that God is going to speak to a few of us this morning. And uh, I'll be around to pray for anybody afterwards. Like, I, I, I'm just a champion for marriage. And I love it. And I felt my, my story, I should share it a little bit this morning, because I thought there might be somebody here who needed to hear it. If that's you, come and find me afterwards, because I'd really love to pray for you. And actually, if any of you want to come and pray for me, that would be pretty cool too. Well, good to get that out of the way. That's that bit done. Feed my sheep. Anybody out there that thinks that God couldn't possibly use them because you're just not good enough? Or because of mistakes that you've made in the past? I really hope this morning is going to encourage you guys and excite you. Can we stick that first PowerPoint up? So I'm here really because of this passage, which is really important to me at the moment. It's Luke 15, 3 to 7. I'll read it to you. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbours, saying to them, rejoice with found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. In Matthew 18, actually, he's saying the same story. It says, he rejoices over it, the sheep, more than over the 99 who ever went astray. A little while ago, uh, a new family came to our church. And I'd hardly got to know them at all when uh, she, the mum, did a very similar thing to Em and just left her family. And I felt that real nudge of, of the Lord to pray for, for their restoration. And some friends and I did that. And, uh, yeah, we stood and we prayed for restoration. We stood in support of the fellow and we urged him and kept him straight and we urged him to faithfulness and to hope and restoration, and, and we saw the privilege over time of doing the most miraculous thing in, in their lives and, and her coming home. And, wow, God has done extraordinary things in her life, and she grows and grows each time I see her. She's a massive encouragement to me. I love her dearly. Um, and God is doing amazing things in their family and as a couple. And God is going to do it. 
extraordinary things with them. But you know, on the, on the first Sunday that she was brave enough to come back to church, when half the congregation there knew what she had done, I remember just looking over and, and seeing her face, and she looked so miserable. And I really didn't know her well, but I felt the Lord say that I should read this passage over her, and I, I went and read it to her. And she said, Matt, she said afterwards, she said, Matt, I, um, I thought of all the people here who would hate me the most. But I, I knew that God was rejoicing over her more than anybody else in the building that morning. Now the Bible is packed full of people messed up and wandered off that God used mightily from Moses through to Peter. So why does God use these guys? The writer of the majority of the New Testament, Paul, spoken about him a lot this morning already. He's an amazing example of this. As you know, he used to be called Saul. He made his living capturing Christians, throwing them into prison to get tortured and killed. If you're, if you're taking notes and you want to go a bit deeper, read Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 10 when you get home. Paul explains it very beautifully here. He knew about following the wrong course of being a lost sheep. In fact, he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, For I am the least of the, of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I pers- persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. When Saul was knocked down and blinded on the road to Damascus, God spoke to a guy called Ananias who despite the ludicrousness of the situation, went and prayed for the healing of the church's biggest and most dangerous enemy. A bloke, you know? What faith. So my question is, why didn't God just anoint Ananias to go on and do what Paul did? Moses, he murdered a bloke and ran away and hid for 40 years. God popped up in a burning bush, didn't he? And Moses used some terrible excuses like, I can't talk properly. So God said, okay, I'll I'll send send your brother Aaron to help you speak. Well, why not just do the burning bush thing for Aaron and send him to Pharaoh instead? We know the answer is great news. From my own story and Paul's, the same word crops up again and again, and that's grace. How many times do we hear people trying to explain grace with words like scandalous and ridiculous? But until you've actually experienced it for yourself or God's explained it to you, it's really difficult to get to the depths of it. And I was working through Hosea one morning. God took me on a little tour which really changed it for me and made it real. Hosea was a chap who had married a lady who wasn't as faithful as she should have been. God used her unfaithfulness and Hosea's forgiveness to show his people the reality of their relationship with their creator. This bit from Hosea 2, verses 14 and 15, just jumped out. It's God talking to his unfaithful people after he has told Hosea to go and forgive and love his wife again. Could we stick that next one up? Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of a core. A door of hope. Wow. I I mean, I love the thought of God alluring me and speaking tenderly to me, even though I really didn't deserve it. 
But this morning I knew God wanted to show me more. I always get these tingly legs when God's trying to show me something. <laughs> I mean, what is the value of a core and what does that mean? How do, I find, how do I find this door of hope? If ever there's something in here that I don't understand, I always just ask, and it's amazing how often he takes time to actually explain it to me. You should definitely try it. So I read a, a chunk of Old and a chunk of New Testament every day, and I think it was the next day that I was reading Joshua. So lovely hearing Andy's testimony this morning of just asking God a question. And then the next day, through this amazing, supernatural, God-speaking book, So the people had uh, crossed at the Jordan and taken Jericho. You know the story, marching round walls came tumbling down. And the Lord had said that no one would take any plunder from the city. Up the road there's a little town called Ai. Um, it's small enough to only send a couple of guys up there to take it. Um, but they got smashed. And Joshua said, God, what, what's happened here? What's going on? So God pared down the people by tribe and family until one poor chap called Achan was left standing there. Joshua said, what have you done? I'm reading from Joshua 7, verses 20 to 26. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw amongst the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and I took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua... And all of Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Accor. Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today and all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones and they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Accor. It gets me every time I read it. (laughs) And it gets me because of the stuff I've got hidden under my tent. This, This is the Valley of Accor. This is a place where I am only deserving of death because of my sin. Wow, when God, when God sticks his finger on, on you like that, that morning. <laughs> Having finally stopped sobbing, I, I turned to my New Testament reading for the day, which happened to be in the Gospel of John. I read this well-known passage in chapter 8. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act Now in the law, Moses commands us stone such This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground, 
But when they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. I love that. I love that. There she was, caught red-handed, standing in the valley of a core, right next to me. Jesus didn't come to change the law. We are all stood with Achan in the valley. He opens a door of hope. Go home and sin no more. I hope I get to meet that woman in heaven and find out the exciting things that God had in store for her. Our awesome God loves to do the impossible and to use the broken and the weak. When we're on the wrong road or life gets a bit messy and Jesus chooses to jump down into our mess with us. It becomes so personal, doesn't it? So awesome. So many of us know this from our own experiences. I want to say to you this morning that you have been found by grace for amazing purposes. How good is that? Does that not encourage us? We all know about two of Jesus' best friends who betrayed him at the end. Peter went through the door of hope. And wow, were there amazing purposes. But you know, the door was there for Judas too. I love this quote. Jesus calls us to cross to the other side, not to drown in the middle. You know, and that's what was on my heart for you guys today. If you're feeling trapped in the valley of a core this morning or feeling drowning somewhere in the middle, I want you to know Jesus is the door of hope. The enemy works so hard to keep the door shut, to whisper that we are worthless, to say we are useless. But Jesus is whispering tenderly to you this morning, desperate to turn your wilderness into a vineyard. Man, I'd love to pray for you if any of that resonates. If I'm a bit scary, understand. Find one of your normal team to pray with this morning. Also here to pray for anybody's marriage. Or anybody who was impacted by my... I'm happy to pray for anybody this morning. That's really all I've got, Martin. I don't know what we do now. Yeah. Let's show our appreciation. Um, it's not a light-hearted thing, but thank you. I don't know if this will apply to you, mate. Um, I hope it does. You may already do. I don't know. But if somebody had said to me, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago, this is what you're going to go through. Do you want to go through it? The answer would have been no. But 30, 40 years onwards, if the Lord says to me, do you want to change it? The answer would be no. And um, because I am who I am because of what the Lord's done through me, 
And my prayer for you, Matt, is, um, is that you'll get to a point where despite whatever love you may have for your wife, you wouldn't change it because of what the Lord's done for you. And the Lord is going to use that pain, that hurt, so you will minister to others because you know what they're going through. So the Lord bless you and keep you, my friend. Bless you. Thank you. Um, we know that um, it's not celebrities who pray for us, but if anybody wants Matthew to pray with them, the Lord listens to this man. He's been through it. He knows he's still going through it. But um, the Lord sees his heart. So let's... Um, do we have another song we can just sing? Or should we hold on to it for a little while? It, does anybody, would anybody like to be prayed for? Um, let's, let's have a, a time, ten, five, ten minutes, where if you'd like to be prayed for, put your hand up. If you'd like to be prayed for afterwards, that's okay. Just hold on to it. But we're going um, to worship the Lord because the Lord, he knows what we're going through. And he does want us to go from point A to cross over and reach point B and then look back. How many of you have tried to climb a mountain and think it's too difficult? And yet when you get to the top, turn around and look back, you see the beauty. Father, I want to bless you for Matt, Lord. I want to bless you, Father, that um, despite all this, you have not let him go, Lord. Father, thank you for him opening his heart up and sharing what is very painful, Lord. Lord, build him, strengthen him, and just let the love that he knows of you, Lord, let it flood out to others, Father. And comfort him, Lord. As, you, as Isaiah says, comfort my people. And may the Lord comfort you, my friend, and strengthen you and use you to comfort others. Amen. We are going to worship. Um, if, if anybody would like to be prayed for, then please, um, at the end. I think uh, in our lives, uh, we can carry uh, a very deep pain. We may not even always find the words for it. Uh, and I think I just would encourage you, you don't have to come and pour it all out. You know, if you come to Matt or, or to someone, I, I'm sure Joe and Susie would be willing to pray with people this morning. <laughs> it's lovely to have you here. Um, don't, have, don't feel you've got to tell the story. Just say, I've got a deep pain in my heart. And uh, could you pray for me? Okay, don't, don't feel you've got to... You may not even be able to find the words for it. <laughs> But even if you could, you don't have to tell them. Uh, but I do. I think this is. We don't often have an opportunity uh, to address. Uh, you know, so often you, we just have to get on and live life, don't we? We just have to get on and live life. And there's there's stuff down there that we just say, I, I can't be doing with it at the moment. I've just got to get on and live life. And then the Lord brings an opportunity. Say, no, it's okay today. Today's okay. Just 
to let me minister to you about this. So if that's you, take that chance. is actually going to be talking to us now. Um, he's a lovely guy. I, I, I really love Matt. I don't know why, but I just do. And um, I think it's probably because there's something of his old man in him. So where's, where's um, well, there's Joe. There he's up there. And I'm sure there's something of mum in him as well. So. <laughs> oh, we should hope so, Vanessa said. <laughs> so I'm going to pray for Matthew. Then I'm going to hand over to him um, to bring the Lord's word to us. Dear Father, we thank you so much for your word, Lord, which is food to our bones, Lord, Lord food to our spirits. And Father, I thank you for people that um, love your word and love you. And especially those, Father, who have, who have held on to you and held on to your word when they have walked through life's um, tough challenges. But Father, I pray now by your spirit, Lord, um, that Matthew would know your, your good, your good uh, presence, Lord, and you bless him and bless us through him. In Jesus' name, amen. Over to you, Matthew. Thank you, Andy. <clears throat> good morning, guys. Um, thank you so much for inviting me back. I must have done a reasonable job last year. Um, I was actually uh, quite uh, nervous about doing a talk on Zoom, but um, the more I thought about it, um, there are actually some, some good things uh, about doing it uh, like this. Um, I actually certainly feel a bit safer. Uh, I don't know if you remember uh, last year, um, but at the front uh, of the church, uh, when I came, there were some tables um, set at the front with some, some lovely candles that were burning for some uh, very spiritual reason that I actually forget. Um, and Martin called Ellie to come to the front to, uh, to uh, bring a notice. I can see Ellie's remembered the moment. And uh, somehow she managed to trip um, on one of the tables uh, and there were candles and tables flying everywhere. You're, you'll be pleased to know that, that, that Ellie herself, she rolled uh, beautifully athletically across the front of the church. She, she leapt to her feet completely unharmed. But I spent the rest of the service terrified about me getting to the front and if something like this was going to happen. So at, at least I don't have that to worry about. Um, the, the other thing was is my dad came to watch. Um, and I seem to remember he spent most of my talk um, shouting advice to me um, and elaborating on all of my stories, etc. So hopefully, Martin, you can keep him firmly um, on mute this morning so, so, so he, he, he can't do that. Actually, in fact, I, I don't know if mum and dad have said, but over the last few weeks, uh, my lovely little family have decided to join each other's Zoom services over, over the over the week. So uh, two weeks ago, we joined mum and dad at Old Town Community Church, which was a delight. Um, and then last week, we joined uh, Karen and Jamie, uh, my brother and sister, at their lovely little Baptist chapel. Um, and it's been really, really nice. But <clears throat> my brother and sister have both promised that they are going to do all they can to put me off this morning. So again, please, Martin, watch out for anything that's uh, slightly dodgy. I can see, yes, my phone is lighting up as we speak. Um, my sister has told me not to keep playing with my beard because I look ridiculous this morning. So all, all of these things I'll take on board. 
Uh, yeah, Matt, be assured. I, I, I have the power of the hatchet and it will be implemented. Thank you very much, Martin. That's great news. <laughs> Good to know you've got my back, as always. Um, last year, I, I gave a short personal testimony um, about my situation, which was, which was pretty hard for me, but I'd felt that God um, was prompting me to, to share it with you. Um, I, I guess you can still find it in, in your archive um, if you missed it last time and, and you're interested. Um, just cutting a long story short, my, my wife left me um, six years ago um, and I'd felt it was really important uh, with God's help and prompting to honour my marriage um, as long as possible. Uh, when I last spoke to you, um, she was in the process of pushing the divorce through. Um, oh my goodness, that's my telephone. Hold on. It stopped. Thank goodness. <coughs> that was exciting. Um, <coughs> it's, it's so hard, isn't it, sometimes to see what God is doing in these uh, situations um, and what God's up to. And actually, um, my, my divorce was made absolute uh, in March. So I can't talk to you of miraculous reconciliation, uh, but so much good has come out of it. Um, Emily and I are genuinely amicable uh, and we're able to work through the divorce process with with care and understanding. Um, I'm amazed at how my heart has healed, uh, to be honest. Um, in fact, after the divorce, Emily came round to pick up her, her, her last bits from the loft um, and I'd felt God to nudge me to actually pray with her. Um, which, as you can imagine, was quite a difficult thing. I, I wasn't sure I really wanted to, to be honest, um, and I wasn't really keen. But as she was leaving, I, I plucked up the courage um, and asked if I could pray with her. Uh, she agreed. Um, so I thanked the Lord uh, for all the wonderful things that had come out of our marriage. I prayed that the Lord would look after her, and I placed her into God's hands. Um, you know, there were many tears uh, from both of us. Uh, we hugged. Um, and she left. <laughs> um, it was a truly healing moment for me, though, uh, full of forgiveness and goodness somehow. Uh, we've been able to relate as good friends since. Um, when the solicitor came to witness some forms we had to sign, um, when Emily, after Emily had left, he asked how on earth we could relate so well after all I'd been through. Um, he then told me that he was in the middle of a really difficult divorce himself um, and could only dream of being able to talk to his wife the way I was able to talk to mine. So I was able to have a really long chat with him um, and offer my ear if ever he needed it. Praise God, you know. And so I'm, I'm now excited about what God has for me next um, and looking forward to, to my next chapter in this exciting life. Last time uh, I spoke on, on the lost sheep uh, from Luke 15, um, it's still an absolute favourite of mine um, and encourages me hugely. So I'm just going to read it again, if that's OK. It's verses one to seven. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbours, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, 
there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. It's wonderful stuff. Here's a couple more just to keep you excited this morning. Zephaniah 3 verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Songs of Solomon 2 verse 8. The voice of my beloved. Behold, he comes leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. Wow, what a God. I had so many lovely messages from you guys last year. I thought I'd carry on uh, where I left off and have a deeper look at why and how God pursues us. I, I also had a few good comments and questions about the story I told about Simon and I crashing my go-kart on Ashburnham Drive. Um, again, if you missed it, uh, please find it in the, the archive. It is an epic tale of bravery and driving skill. As you were so appreciative, I, uh, I thought I would give you a little bit more Marriott go-kart folklore this morning. I think it's about uh, uh, 12 years ago um, at our church, we started an annual event called Wacky Races. Um, this, this was an event designed uh, for dads to build a go-kart with their children um, and race it down a local hill, competing in various different categories like best designed cart, agility and speed. Um, <clears throat> I... Uh, I had two boys uh, at the time uh, of very different ages uh, and they both insisted on being involved. Um, it meant that that was quite a tricky design project ahead. There was also a young lad called, called Dan, um, who had been one of my youth at a previous church um, and he'd really become part of my family. He still is actually. Um, I was sure that God wanted him at my new church and so I was trying to involve him in as many church um, activities as I could. He was actually training to be a carpenter at the time so I thought he could be useful. So the obvious solution to a four-man uh, go-kart was a bobsleigh design um, and soon uh, that the Marriott chariot uh, was born. I'm hoping I can be clever and share my screen slightly smoother um, than Ellie managed it. Um, here we go. Now there she is. Can you see her? Um, as you can see, uh, very hard to tell the difference between uh, uh, this and, and an Olympic uh, bobsleigh. Um, that's me in the red in case you, you didn't know. Um, that's D Dan there on the right and standing between me and Dan that's Joey now he's actually 20 now and you might be able to, if you scroll through all the people he's actually in my bed at the moment with his laptop watching so hey son thanks for joining <coughs> I'm at the front there, there that's Theo dressed as, as, as Spider-Man um, he, he uh, he's now 16 and a strapping lad um, I think there's another picture somewhere yeah, there she is what a beast so after a couple of runs, um, we realised that although the, the go-kart looked great, it, it really wasn't fast. Um, I, think, I think we did pick up best designed cart that year, but we were really after the blue ribboned trophies of, of agility um, and speed. 
So the following year, a, a complete uh, redesign um, was needed. You know, much as I love my children, um, to reach those dizzy heights, I needed to ditch the extra weight um, and design a larger wheeled and more streamlined vehicle. After weeks of labour, um, it was uh, finally unveiled. If it ain't red, leave it in the shed. What a beast that is. Now, <clears throat> um, as you can see, uh, the driver's seat there um, is a full seat. I think we nicked it out of a transit. On the passenger side uh, was just a seat cushion. It was cut away so the passenger could give a racing start um, and leap in the back. I mean, just looking at it, you know, I, I knew best design was again in the bag, but would it perform on the hill of doom? Well, on our first practice run, um, Dan gave only the merest of pushes and, and soon we were careering um, down the hill. She, she was fast. Um, actually, she, she was too fast. I, I, I may have uttered a few words which uh, made me glad that actually my children weren't on board. Um, having reached the bottom, we then had to make a turn, uh, which uh, ended up being far too much for those back wheels, <laughs> and they folded uh, under the cart. Uh, we very nearly flipped over, um, but you'll be pleased to, to hear no harm was caused to driver, um, competitor, or, or spectator. But, but we were out. On the training run, we were out. I had to spend the rest of the afternoon um, watching all of the other puny carts going down the hill, trying to clap and, and look pleased for them as they lofted their trophies aloft. It, it was a truly terrible moment. But it was a good cart though. You know, it had so much potential. And uh, <clears throat> just a few tweaks later, and we had the green machine. Um, if you look closely, you can see the differences. Uh, nice new chunky uh, back wheels. We put it in the wind tunnel and we took off all of the bits that might slow down our, our aerodynamics. Um, and if you look very carefully in front of those back wheels, you'll see a couple of little paddles. They're actually brakes. Oh my goodness. And that, that really helped at the bottom of the hill. Um, this picture was actually taken uh, in the final. Um, and uh, you, you can see the opposition was just two bikes strapped together. It was a complete cheat, but as you can see, we've already smoked them. Um, <clears throat> let's see if I can come back to you now. You're bored of looking at pictures. I am sure, stop there, here we go. <clears throat> Uh, due to uh, health and uh, safety, um, actually in the near death of several competitors, uh, this was actually the last year that we, we ran the event, but the green machine swept all before it. Uh, we won best cart, we won agility, and most of all, uh, we won speed. In fact, as it was the last year, um, I still hold the coveted trophy, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, also, just to say, the young lad, Dan, um, now runs our church as lead elder. Uh, God really does work in unexpected ways. <clears throat> I, guess, uh, I guess for anybody um, actually logging in for some proper teaching this morning, uh, we should probably move on. God pursuing us. For God to have to pursue us, uh, like in the parable of the lost sheep, 
we have to have wandered off or to not be where we should be. Psalm 139 is an absolute classic. I'm just going to read uh, verses 7 to 12, but please read the whole thing later. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, no, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. We all know the story of someone who tried to flee from God, um, and that's Jonah. I'm just going to read the first couple of verses um, of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Has, um, has God ever asked you to do something that you didn't want to do? Or more likely, have you ever wanted to do something that the Lord didn't want you to do? These are, these are big crossroad moments in our lives. I've certainly navigated a few of those with very differing results in my time. One of my very best friends told a wonderful testimony in church one morning, where as a young woman, she had reached a crossroads. And she actually physically packed her Bibles and her Christian books together and she pushed them under her bed right to the back. I thought this was a, a really powerful picture and it's really stayed with me. Actually, that verse uh, that I read at the beginning from Zephaniah is her absolute favourite. Thank God he pursues us and brings us home and sings over us. I just want to make a few uh, quick points this morning from the first chapter of Jonah. A warning, a challenge, and hopefully an encouragement. As Psalm 139 reminds us, and we all know this really, there's no point in running from God. We can ignore him. We can shut him out. We can even deny him. But he is always there pursuing us, giving us chance after chance. So Jonah, he decides to run, to put his Bibles under the bed. He wants to go to Tarshish. He goes down to his local port and what does he find? Blow me down, he finds a ship going to Tarshish. Can I just say guys, there will always be a ship going to Tarshish. 
The enemy will aid us in every way he can to get us to run, to turn our backs on God. 2 Samuel 11 says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. We all know the story, don't we? David is not where he should be. He stayed behind. He was lonely without his friends. He's vulnerable. This, this is when the enemy pounces. David's ship to Tarshish was a beautiful woman bathing naked. Are you in danger now? Are, are you in a place where you shouldn't be? Are you vulnerable to one of the enemy's shiny ships? to Tarshish even in your mind now are you secure and following Jesus's path for you ask him if you're in danger at the moment it might not be such a massive thing I'm self-employed I remember a little time ago I'd had a few difficult months and uh, money was tight and I had some vicious bills to pay and I, I'd worked out that once once I paid my bills I, I was actually in a little bit of trouble I think I desperately needed about 1500 quid and uh, one of my suppliers forgot to invoice me and uh, blow me down the amount of the invoice was about 1500 quid it's a Tarshish ship I, I remember even thinking Perhaps the Lord has arranged this. You know, really? Perhaps I've decided to read my Bible every evening. Just as I'm about to start, Bake Off comes on the telly. And, and it's the semi-final. I've just jumped on board a Tarshish ship. 1, 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Just reading the next couple of verses from Jonah. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. When we sail on our Tarshish ship, we also can be asleep completely oblivious to the storm around us that our behavior is causing ignoring the damage to others and their property you know David he carried on digging a deeper and deeper hole and then after Uriah was dead killed on David's orders the Bible tells us he still carried on living and pretending nothing had happened for at least a year before God sent Nathan the prophet to challenge him, to wake him up. 
there are consequences of getting on the boat. Sin hurts us and those around us. I have actually known God to send a physical storm or disaster to change someone's course. It's actually happened quite recently to a friend of mine. But often the Lord will choose to send a person to challenge us, like Nathan with David. Or sometimes, like the lost sheep or the prodigal son, we can find ourselves lost and alone, feeling broken, forced to come to terms with our situation. Ask yourself, is there any area in which you are asleep at the moment? Can you avoid God having to send a storm or a Nathan? Or even just avoid having to wake up feeling alone and broken? Here's the encouragement. It's God's grace. Last time I spoke to you, I spoke on on God's grace. So again, please uh, find it and listen to it if you need to. All of us have jumped on a ship to Tarshish at some point. And actually, we'll probably do so again in the future. A a crisis can be transformational. When, When your ship is about to sink, your values are suddenly changed and clarified. Read Psalm 51 later. This is the moment that David wakes up after Nathan has challenged him. He pours his heart out to God. He allows light into the darkness. Jonah himself actually does a similar thing in the belly of the fish in chapter 2. Jonah is apparently uh, the best known Bible story in the world. I I think I would have guessed Noah's Ark, actually, but no, apparently it's Jonah. Uh, The Quran mentions Jonah. Um, Michelangelo painted Jonah in the middle of the Sistine Chapel ceiling in probably the most celebrated piece of art ever painted. Jesus himself mentions Jonah. When we mess up, get on our ship, God can use us and our story powerfully. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. I know while reading about my biblical heroes, I've learned more from their mistakes than from anything else. The way we handle these situations as Christians has a massive effect on those around us. The way Jonah took responsibility for his actions had a massive effect. In fact, actually, in Jonah 1 verse 16, it says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. God lets us make mistakes. We learn from them. Others come to faith because of them. When I realised my first go-kart, the Marriott Chariot, was never going to be a winner, and I had to totally start again, was this a complete waste of time? No. 
I learned so much and my next attempt had so much more potential. The changes to my second cart, to my third cart, the all-conquering green machine were relatively minor, but they had a huge impact. There, there have been times in my life where God has had to completely turn me around to start again, really. And there have been some times when just minor changes have had a big effect. I used to be so ashamed of my past, ashamed with how I treated people, ashamed with how I treated myself. Actually, the truth is, is I know I have hurt and messed up with people in this very congregation. <laughs> Andy and Vanessa were my youth leaders. I think they got the brunt of it. <laughs> uh, but you know, now I, now I see that God has used all of these things to shape me into who I am today. Joyce Mayer makes the distinction between God's conviction and the enemy's condemnation. If the Holy Spirit is convicting us, we should of course repent and change our direction, get off our boat to Tarshish. I hope this talk may have shown us some areas in which we may need to do that. But you know, the enemy doesn't want us to be convicted and to find freedom through the grace of mighty God. He wants us to feel condemned and guilty about our past, even after we have repented and brought it to our Heavenly Father. If you are sitting here this morning, feeling that your mistakes mean you have to hide or run from God, or even that God forgives you, but he couldn't possibly use you because other people would be so disgusted with your behavior. Be encouraged. Shake off the guilt and the condemnation. Get up off the beach where the fish has spat you and go again. Your story is a mighty weapon that God can and will use powerfully. Thank you very much. Matthew, that was first class. Thank you so much. Bless you. Um, like so many things that um, are, are excellent, they come out of true life experience. Um, so I really want to bless you and thank you. And I can't imagine what Vanessa and I did to you um, in the youth group, but it can't have been anything good. That's why you're so good now. <laughs> really, really, thank you for that. Um, I just, uh, just uh, being serious on that, it, it, it does seem as though the Lord is um, speaking to us, maybe specifically to one or two, I don't know. Um, but this thing of stirring up, this thing of um, coming back, that the Lord pursues you, sometimes when you feel guilty it's because the lord wants you back um and there's um i know we spoke about um proverbs there's another proverb blessed are those who own their own sin for god shall own them and it's um it's interesting that king saul 
when he was challenged by Samuel, he came up with excuse after excuse, but, but, but. And then Matthew um, referred to King David when challenged by Nathan about his sin with Bathsheba. The first thing that David said was, I have sinned. Um, so I want to encourage anybody who the Holy Spirit may be speaking to that he is not wanting to condemn. Um, when, I, when my children were younger, um, whenever I knew they had done something and I, I pressed them on it, it wasn't because I wanted to condemn them. It was because I wanted them to own their sin, to say sorry, and relationship could be restored. So um, I just, Ma uh, Martin, would you be able to unmute everybody? Are you able to do that? All right. Sorry, no, everyone needs to unmute themselves. Yeah. I want to give, um, I want to give some space um, for, uh, for whoever may want to pray. Um, your disclosure may be as, as much as you want or as little as you want, but I would suggest that um, if the Lord's been speaking to you, that there are people that who, who you can trust, that you can talk to but it may be an opportunity now just to start the process that says lord i'm sorry um we are all tempted and jesus was tempted just like us although he didn't sin so if i want to if i can give space for um, a little bit of time if anybody wants to uh, to pray openly i want to give that opportunity to people and then we shall move on so please feel free just unmute yourself um and Let's see what Lord does. Thank you. <laughs> 